So our reading comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 all the way to verse 13. It reads, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we look into his word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would indeed help us, be with us, bring your spirit that the words that come from our mouth would, would have an impact that no human words can have in people's hearts. Cause us, Lord, to be excited about your church, about your people, and to be excited about you and what you have done in Christ. Be with us now, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts that indeed may behold wonderful things in your word. I pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The section that we are looking at this morning from the Creed is sort of the, la the second last section. We've been looking at the Apostles' Creed together and using it as a means to learn about God and about salvation. And now we're going to learn about the church. In the last section, I started last week with the Holy Spirit. It reads, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on, Christ's Holy Universal Church, the Fellowship of Christians. 
That is, the, the, those two phrases are going to be our main concern this morning. We're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit that gives the church, that enables fellowship among believers. It has become harder and harder these days to believe that the church, the institution of the church, is a force for good in the world. All her sins are now public on the internet. You have pastors who are robbing people. You have believers who are hypocritical, who say one thing but live in a different way. You have leaders who are abusive towards women, towards children, towards believers. Each month we hear about a scandal that a celebrity pastor has been involved in. We have members of the church who are harsh to non-believers, who are extremely judgmental to the extent that it becomes difficult to minister the gospel to them because we are repelling people away by our attitude. This is so bad that at times we even think that if you become a good Christian, that is okay. You don't have to belong to a church. As long as you are a good Christian, as long as you pray and you worship God on your own. When someone comes to, you, to us and says, I still love Jesus, but I've given up on the church. A part of us understands, though we mourn that, a part of us understands why that is the case. However, God loves his church. Even though the creed says, I believe in the holy, in Christ's holy universal church, but what I want us to see this morning is that God loves his church. God believes in his church. God, in his providence, and in his word, has said, this is how I'm going to change the world, through his church. When you look at the creed, uh, which we've been looking at for the past six weeks, it is that it is not by accident that the order of things, the way that they've been put there, that's not accidental. That you have the Holy Spirit at the top, then you have the church and personal salvation at the bottom. What is going to talk about forgiveness of sin and the life eternal and so on. It is by strict theological logic that the creed confesses faith in the Holy Spirit before going to the church. And that it speaks of the church before going to personal salvation. Because even though the Father and the Son have loved the church, and the Son has redeemed those who become part of the church, 
It is the Holy Spirit who actually forms the church by giving faith to those who become part of the church. And then after that, it is a church through its ministry, through its evangelism, that, faith, that personal faith normally comes. Even though we struggle with the church, and we struggle in the church at times, God has, in his word, told us that he is going to use the church to accomplish his mission of salvation. Where do I get this? We can just jump now to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10. Ephesians 3, verse 10, it reads, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God has decided that through the church, through the, these people gathered, he must show his wisdom to all, to the angels watching, to the people in the world, to everyone. He must show his wisdom. The church, therefore, is God's uh, public campaign that demonstrates his wisdom. How does do that, especially since we spoke about the church being uh, broken and sinful, the church being hard, because people are hard and broken and sinful, the church being scandalous. How is the church the wisdom of God? We're going to see this throughout the book of Ephesians. This is a passage we've done before, but I'm going to briefly look at it now and focus specifically on what it uh, says before verse 10. How is the church the wisdom of God? The first thing that I want us to see is that the church is the wisdom of God because it shows that God saves and not the people. That God is the one who saves and not his servants. It shows that God is the hero of the story of salvation and not those who are called to be messengers of the message of salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. We say this in Paul. He starts, he says it in two, he also says it in verses 8 as well. Look at verse 2. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me. Again in verse 8. This grace has been given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You have here someone who was once a Pharisee, once a persecutor of the church, 
who has now been entrusted with the message of God's grace to go and tell others about God. You have someone who killed men and women who proclaimed this message. But God, in his grace, he met Paul at Damascus. He changed his house and said, you are going to be my apostle. You are going to be my messenger to the Gentiles. If you want to look at the catalyst in the story of Paul, how now he has become a, this steward of God's grace, how now he has become this messenger of the unsearchable riches in Christ, the one who moved Paul to this is God. Unlike the other disciples who were unlearned, Paul was an expert in the law. But in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Everything that I considered worthwhile, that I considered good, for me, because I obeyed the law, I now consider it worthless compared to being in him. He even said of himself in Corinthians 15 verse 9 that he is the least of all the apostles. Paul, Paul's called to be an apostle of grace. It is by God and it is God who works through him to save. Paul has been called to point others to God. And God decides that I'm going to use this person who was a terrible example of, of, of the type of people who would follow Jesus as the one who persecuted those who did. So that Paul might not be the, the idol. Paul might not be the hero. God might be. Paul might be the broken thing of this world. Used by God to deliver something with infinitely more. That is what God does with the church. He takes people who are the unlikeliest to lead. And he says, I'm going to entrust you with the, me with the message of eternal life. He takes you and I, who may not be the most intelligent people in the world, the, most, the best looking people in the world, who may not be the most influential, the richest people in the world. But he entrusts us with the most precious thing in the world, his gospel. Because everything else will come to an end, won't it? All the books, all the money, all the, uh, the influence, the political influence, all the technological innovations, they will come to an end. Someone will build a better car in the next 30, 40 years. Someone will have more money 
Someone will write a better book. But the gospel of God will endure to the end. It's the only thing that will outlive us, that will outlive uh, the, the things that you consider important in this world. And God entrusts people like us to share that. He does that to, de- to demonstrate to us that he is the one who saves. He is the hero, not us. And what? And the second thing that you see there is that the, God, the, the church is the wisdom of God because it shows that he is the one who unites and not our ethnicities. Because we would typically be divided people. Apart from God, we would typically be uh, warring with one another. Just as Jews and Gentiles used to be divided. But God, in his grace, he united them as members of God's household. You see this in verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 3. So as when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of many other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery that Paul is talking about here? Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God does something amazing here that he decides to, he decides to unite people who would naturally be enemies with one another. The Jews were told to stay away from Gentiles, to not mix up with them, to not have their children, marry their children, to not have the same worship space as them. You know that the Gentiles are not even allowed in the temple of the Jews. They, these are the people who had an exclusive religion that did not invite anyone else to come. These are the people who perceived themselves as better because they were the chosen people. But God, through the gospel, through the good news, verse 6, through Jesus Christ, he decides that he's now going to unite them into one body. That he is going to make these people who were once enemies of, of one another partakers of the same promise. That through the gospel, he is going to make them one in Christ. He is going to make them members of his church. And that both Jew and Gentiles now are now going to be used by God as imperfect vessels of his glory. 
that all the benefits that the Jews had would now be enjoyed equally by the Gentiles. That in verse 12, uh, Paul can say, In Christ Jesus, we have boldness and access. We, that is you and I, I myself a Jew, Paul would say, and you, who, are, who is in Ephesus, a Gentile, can boldly have access to confidence. Why? Because we have our faith in him. The Gentile who was no longer allowed, was not allowed access to the Holy of Holies, to the temple, now has access to God through Christ. This is the wisdom of God. This is how God decides he's going to use the church. When you look at the Jews and Gentiles, you would think of people who should naturally be enemies with one another. But because of God's grace and God's work, he unites them together. He enables them to have fellowship with one another. Even though the differences between Jew and Gentiles are vast, but there are significant differences between people, not just as, uh, as tribes and clans, but between people within the Jewish community itself. Between Gentiles as different family members. But God, through his grace, by saving each and every one of them and imbuing or giving each and every one of them his spirit that he dwells in each and every one of them. God can call them his children. They can understand one another as siblings, as fellow as in Christ because of what God did. So he is the one who saves by using unworthy vessels, the unlikely people to, uh, to share his message. He is the one who unites by bringing together Jew and Gentile who would otherwise not be friends with one another. By bringing together people from different families and calling them to love one another just as he has loved them. And he does this, lastly, through Christ. He is the one who saves and unites in Christ. The, the apple or the genius of God's wisdom is that he does not um, save through some, uh, some, some other way that he decides that he is going to save his people. Not through a sacrificial system, not through some, uh, some, some special insight that this one guru might have, 
But he decided he's going to save by coming down himself in Christ to rescue his people and to unite them under his rule. We see this in verses 8 to 11 of Ephesians chapter 3. To me, Paul says, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, to bring to the light for everyone what is, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This plan that God had to save the world, this plan that God had to unite Jew and Gentile, how is that plan realized? Looking at the last verse, verse 11, it has been realized in Christ Jesus. It is by Christ, it is only in Christ that Jew and Gentiles are united together. It is by Christ that God saves and uses the unlikely people to save, like Paul. It is in Christ that God builds his church, that he decides that these people who are not likely to like one another, that these people that I'm sending out to the world to preach the good news, he brings them together through Christ. By having Christ come and die at the cross for them. Now they go out, these people who have been united together, they go up and share what God has done in Christ. They go out and preach unity in Christ. So it is God himself saving. It is God himself uniting. And it is God himself who builds the church. So when you and I then confess what is in the creed that we believe in Christ's holy universal church, in Christ's church that has been set aside for God, we are confessing that we believe in what God has done through the church. When you and I confess that we believe in the fellowship of Christians, we are confessing that we believe in what God has done through his gospel by uniting Gentiles and Jews together. Men and women who 
would naturally not get along. Friends, members of the same body, through Christ, they are united. So then, what does this mean for some of us who are tempted to give up on the church, who are disappointed with the church, who are disappointed that people don't come into church, who are disappointed that the uh, the church is not living up to their expectations. This is an encouragement to you and I to turn our eyes to Christ, to remember what the church is, who brings it together, what keeps the church together, that is God himself. To remember Jesus Christ. To continue to proclaim that you believe in the church. Is in other ways to say that I believe in his word. I believe in God's plan. Yes, what is in front of me may look imperfect. Yes, the people next to me may not be the best. But I know that Christ died for them. Christ died for this person. That you may be united together. Christ values them. Christ loves his church. Therefore you strive to love it too, just as he does. Now next week we're going to be looking at the, the final uh, section of this. That is, the church, not only is it the plan of God, but it is the means by which we can access forgiveness and hope for life eternal. Let us pray together and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, it is at times difficult to speak about your church when it lives and it gives very little to be proud of in this world. We pray that you grant righteousness and holiness to your church. That a time will come, Lord, it would stand tall not because, and say we are proud, not because of, of what the church has done, but because of you, Lord, and what you have done. Help us, Lord, to lift our gaze from the troubles that plague us and lift them up to you and realize that your church is the wisdom of God. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.